They say the world can be hard, cruel, and ugly. Trust me, it gets worse if you're hungry and thirst. Doesn't push you from position, last place to first. Can't build a foundation without having feet in the dirt. So I put in the work, grind harder than most. I don't chase accolades of the living, I'm facing a ghost. That's what makes me the GOAT. Depending on who you ask, my brother, whatever task, got it covered like a mask. Guaranteed they can't see me at the open run. Cause I cook competitors until they look well done. Don't act like you don't know where I hail from. I had to climb up out the trenches, sit on benches till my time had come. Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game. Sneak this in the hating, that's a flag on the play. Me falling off, huh? That'll be the day I'm like, bolt in the race, leave the track, flambe, it's the open run. I am a walking affirmation that imagination and focus and patience get you closer to your aspirations. But just because they give you shit, don't mean you have to take it. And with that said, welcome to The Open Run with Will Strickland, and that would be me. The Open Run is brought to you by the fine folks at Press. We are press.net. I can be found on these rough interweb streets at W underscore Strickland and the number one on Twitter, Will Strickland and the number one on IG and across all streaming platforms where podcasts can be found. I've been giving a lot of thought to the idea of culture. I watched the verses with Ghostface and Raekwon a couple weeks ago. Shouts out to my special guest from last week, Kelly Kincaid from the Sway in the Morning show. And it reminded me that Ghost said something at the end of the show about culture. Now, before I get into culture, I think we should have at least a general and basic understanding of what culture really is. By definition, culture is an umbrella term which encompasses the social behavior and norms found in human societies, as well as the knowledge, beliefs, arts, laws, customs, capabilities, and habits of individuals in these groups. Basically, about the tenets and precepts and mores of a group of people who join and band together in some sort of commonality. They find the connective tissue in these things they relate to. And so in understanding that cultures borrow from other cultures to create culture, or some just create the culture and other people borrow from it, I'll speak about black culture in particular. I, if you did not know already, am a black man. But not all black people are the same. We are not monolith, nor is any other race or gender. We're not monolith as people. Let's be clear on that. We all have different quirks and idiosyncrasies and peccadillos, things we're into that not everyone can follow. Cool. All good. But when I think about culture, I think about hip-hop culture these days and what goes said. To put it in context, he was speaking about being the shareholder of the culture in that we have an obligation to respect what came before, to hold that dear to hold dear the accomplishments you had in your time, and to also respect what's coming, what is right now. There are these 50-year-old men on stage, you know, having a hard time lifting their legs to cross their legs because Ghost said his knees hurt, or taking that prostate break to go to the bathroom during the show. Hey, it happens. We get of age, these things happen. But they show love to one another as black men, which the perception is that that doesn't happen amongst black men. The people are afraid to tell one another, especially black men, hey man, I love you. I lose nothing from telling another black man he's great. I tell Jesse Washington, I love him. He's great. I tell my brothers, I love you. You're great. My nephews, whoever. And the fact that these guys are expressing these this outward love as black men who are rappers, who fall into a stereotype uh, for a lot of people, was beautiful. 
He's like, I want to be a shareholder of the culture. We have an obligation to take care of it. We have an obligation to one another as people. In this case, microcosmically, he's talking about black people and the people of the culture. No matter what race, gender, however you gender identify, religion, creed, whatever, we have an obligation to be shareholders, to be responsible. And more often than not, it seems as though we are not responsible to one another in a multitude of ways. And we can lay blame on the idea of divide and conquer. If you don't believe in one thing, you must be opposed to it totally. So if you don't believe in everything Democrats are into, you must be a Republican and vice versa. If you don't watch Fox News, you must believe in everything that CNN says. And speaking of CNN, just this past week, Two young ladies, ages 13 and 15, carjacked a Muslim man, an Uber Eats driver. He would not allow the young ladies to take his vehicle. In the commission of a crime, there was an accident. These young ladies had this man trapped between the driver's side and the door. They sped off and they bumped into a couple of poles on the way down before they had an accident half a block up, murdering the man. People spent more time trying to figure out their political angle and who to blame. Democrats or Republicans, Fox News or CNN, because CNN said the man was fatally injured in an accident where he lost his life. And they took the time to parse what that meant instead of realizing that the most important thing in this moment was that a man, not a Muslim man, that these girls, not two black girls, for all intents and purposes, had lost their lives. The man forever, these young girls before they even had their lives started, really. And the countless lives on the periphery of all of this that are going to be affected. What happened to culture? The connective tissue that speaks to us as a people. Some humanity. No, oh, we got to get a headline. We got to be first. We fostered this through social media. And I hate to rag on social media because I use it as a vehicle. It's a necessary evil. It really is. And I guess when you say necessary and evil at the same time, whole nother conversation. But what meant more? The race, religion, or the people affected? You tell me. In Boulder, Colorado, a man walked into a grocery store and unloaded a full clip. Killed 10 people. Denver Nuggets head coach Mike Malone to honor these people. During his pregame interviews, they have the Zoom interview for all the NBA coaches before the games. Read off the names of the 10 people who were murdered. And he broke down a couple of times trying to read off 10 names. He didn't care if they were Muslim or black. Didn't care if they were transgender or not. They were people. And as hard as it was for him to read that, it was just now hard for me to even say it. And thinking about the humanity of the person who, who read these names. I mean, he's just a basketball coach, right? He's a person. While we are arguing about how the Brooklyn Nets are loading up, former San Antonio Spurs power forward LaMarcus Aldridge was bought out of his contract, subsequently signing with the Brooklyn Nets. People are wringing their hands about the Nets loading up to defeat he who shan't be named and his merry band of Lakers. Made me think about like, okay, well, is there a certain value? Why are people upset? Why is Stephen A. Smith of ESPN saying that the Brooklyn Nets are trying to steal a championship? They want one bought. Last time I looked, Jeff Green, who's on their bench, who's been on, I don't know, what, eight teams in the last 10 years, has more finals minutes has more conference finals minutes than LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin combined. Nobody wrung their hands about that. Brooklyn is doing what every other team who want to have a dynasty or want to create a championship has ever done through the history and the entirety of the National Basketball Association is to get the best players of the most visible teams. And now we have social media and the 24-hour news cycle and reality TV. And this is what this is. 
You have a guy like Kyrie Irving who took a three-day break to have a birthday party for himself. He turned 29. Happy birthday, Kyrie Andrew Irving, because he can. He took off work. Called out. All good. People are saying they formed the Avengers to go against the Thanos. Great. I love the stories. It's great. But let's talk about the fallacy of parity and fairness in the NBA because there's no such thing as fair. We know this. This is life. Or this man would not have lost his life. Those people in Boulder would not have lost their lives if something was fair. If something was right. If something was just. There's never been parity in the NBA. There never will be. Stop crying. That's a short story told short. It is what it is. It really is. They still have to go out and compete. I remember the team in 2004 in Los Angeles that had five Hall of Famers on it. The late, great Kobe Bean Bryant, Shaquille Rashawn O'Neal, Carl Malone, Gary Payton, Mitch Richmond. Mitch didn't play that much. That's why people don't mention him that much. But he was on the team. And he lost to a band of journeymen. They did. One of the greatest teams assembled lost to a better team. Happened to Wilt in 1970. Happened to him again in 1973. He retired after that. Wilt only had guys like uh, 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 this small list of Hall of Famers, like the late, great Elgin Baylor, Jerry West. And then they got Gail Goodrich in 1971. I'll talk about that a little bit later in more detail. They lost twice to the Knicks, a better team full of eventual Hall of Famers. But nobody was going, oh, yeah, the, that team, they're not Wilt. They're not. Yeah, yeah. Willis Reed was a great player. He's Rookie of the Year and MVP. In the 1969-70 season, but he wasn't Wilt. The late Dave DeBusher, he wasn't Wilt. Walt Frazier is not Jerry West, but he played the second greatest NBA Finals game in history in Game 7 of the 1970 series. My dear old dad, blessed dead, almost missed me being born because he wanted to watch his guy Walt Frazier do his thing. And happy birthday, yesterday I guess, to the elegant Clyde Frazier. I think he turned 71. I'm going to give some love to my brother on his 48th trip around the sun. My aunt, who will be, she will be mad if I tell the age. People who are really dear to me had birthdays over this period of time. A friend of mine got married. Guy used to be a ball boy for Rice University when I was in school. Is now the assistant general manager of the Minnesota Timberwolves. My man, Joe Branch. JB, congratulations to you and your wife on your recent nuptials. And condolences for the loss of your mother, Miss Laura, who used to be the associate registrar at Rice University. She was like my second mother. She was so kind to me, so kind to my son. And it was a total shock finding out that she was lost to us this past week. I can't imagine what he's going through. But empathy is a real thing. I've learned to be more empathetic through my interactions with lots of people who have taught me things. Even at my age, I still learn. Every day, I'm a forever student, like my homegirl Kelly said last week on the podcast. Be a forever student. Love and curate culture. A culture of caring around yourself and around others. And on that note, we'll get back to some more basketball on the open run with Will Strickland right after this. third month of 2021 comes to a close the madness in march still ensues and want to send rest and power shouts to the family of oscar Freire from grand canyon university in phoenix 
who just days after they lost their first round game in their first March Madness appearance, Oscar Freire died along with his sister and a friend in California in an automobile accident. Rest in power, young man. He's 23 years old. Happy trails to Lon Kruger, coach of the Oklahoma University Sooners, laying it down after 45 years from coaching at Kansas State, where he went to school as well, Florida, Illinois, UNLV, the Atlanta Hawks, Enjoy retirement, my man. Enjoy it. Give it up for Shaka Smart, who was proactive instead of reactive by moving from Texas to Marquette, especially after they lost to Abilene Christian. He was on the hot seat in the years he was at Texas as the head coach. They were treating him like he was the football coach. First time a black man ever got that job, the University of Texas. I can't remember Texas ever really winning anything in basketball except on the women's side. Shouts to Jody Conrad, the 1986 national champion. But Shaka Smart moved on, and he's now the new head coach at Marquette University. So congratulations, Shaka Smart, on your new gig. Gotta give some love to my man, Anthony Hardaway. Penny Hardaway, head coach of the Memphis State Tigers. They went back to the old Memphis State uniforms and everything for the NIT, and they won the NIT. The National Invitational Tournament, which was March Madness before March Madness. The National Tournament to be in back in the day. Still around. Still worth something. Penny said, hey, this is only the beginning. We're going to bring back our whole crew, hopefully. And we're looking for something better next year, meaning March Madness. So, shouts out to Penny. Recently, Dana Jacobson from CBS did a piece. I think it was on CBS this Saturday morning or something. I can't recall right off the top what the name of the show was, but... She did an interview with three guys who were former NBA players turned college coaches. Patrick Ewing of Georgetown University, Hall of Famer. Penny Hardaway, NIT champion now for 2021. And National Coach of the Year, Jawan Howard of the University of Michigan. Go Blue. If you have a chance to check out the interview, check it out. I think you can find it on CBS On Demand online somewhere. Staying in the Big Ten, former NBA player and also Indiana University alumnus, Mike Woodson. Got the gig there at Indiana for six years. So Wood, who was on that 1976 team that went undefeated and won the national championship under the General Robert Montgomery Knight. Good luck at IU, sir. The Elite Eight of the Men's Collegiate National Basketball Tournament had me thinking a couple different things. First and foremost, Bill Walton must be losing his mind because he always calls the Pac-12 the best conference in America, and it's hard to argue with them right now because there are three teams, or were three teams at this point, in the Elite Eight. Oregon State, USC, UCLA, his alma mater. And the conference that had the most teams in the tournament was down to one, the University of Michigan Wolverines. Go Blue. And forget about Bill Walton. What about Will Strickland and the feelings I was having trying to decide which old Southwest Conference team I was going to root for in the other side of the bracket, whether it be Baylor, Arkansas, or the University of Houston. Ich. But I did pick them as my dark horse champion, so you never know. Now, for those too young to remember the Southwest Conference, those teams are in that conference as well as the University of Texas, Texas A&M, SMU. Um, who am I missing? Outside of Rice, I mean, we had quality teams. We were playing some of the top teams, top players in the country were playing there. Arkansas had like Lee Mayberry and Todd Day, Oliver Miller, all had brief quality NBA. If you if you make it to the NBA, you had a successful career to me. It's hard as hell to make the NBA. Trust me. So great story about Rice University in Arkansas my freshman year 
We're playing at Barnhill Arena. Now, if you guys don't know anything about the University of Arkansas, they are the Razorbacks. And when you go to their arena, Barnhill Arena, there's this call that the student section makes. You hear someone say, pig, and the whole crowd says, suey. Hey, look, it is what it is. And the stands were like almost vertical. So the sound just came down on top of you in the arena. To me, it was exciting. In my freshman year, we were down 20 and coach was like, forget about it. Let's just throw the freshmen in there. So all five of us is one of the top recruiting classes in America. Even though we went to a school that hadn't won anything ever, really. We go in, we cut the lead to seven. I almost get in a fight with Todd Day. I go down on a fast break. I try to dunk on him. He fouls me and the ball went in somehow. I didn't see it at the end because he basically tackled me in the air. And, you know, we got up and it was time to mix mitts. No texts were called. It was a different time. Cool. I go to the free throw line. Then we pressed them and we knocked, uh, we, we, I think somebody deflected the ball off of one of their players. I'm taking the ball out in the sideline. The great Hall of Fame coach, Nolan Richardson. 1994, national champions, 40 minutes of hell. He walks over toward the ref as he's about to hand me the ball. And he goes, hey, hey, hey. Ref stops for a second. Let me tell you something. He starts whispering a little bit, but I can hear everything they're saying. And I'm going to use, these are coaches' words. Listen, motherfucker. If you ever make another motherfucking call like that again, you'll never referee in this league. Do you understand me? That was terrible. Then coach left the bench during the game. And when he got popcorn and the coat came back to the bench, do you think the referee said one word to him? Nah. And this was before he won the title. He was a man down there. Shouts out to Coach Richardson. You were the truth, sir. And even though Rice did not win that game that night, last night, the Houston Cougars defeated the Oregon State Beavers and the Baylor Bears defeated Arkansas. And guess what? One half of the Final Four bracket has been filled out by the Houston Cougars and the Baylor Bears. So the Southwest Conference still rides. And I'm sorry, Texas Tech and TCU, if I forgot you earlier. But do remember, Gonzaga versus USC later on this evening. And Michigan versus UCLA to figure out the other side of the Final Four of the Men's National Tournament. Now on the women's side, and before I get to the women's side, which is, it was crazy last night. I need to send shouts out and love and respect to the Women's National Invitation Tournament champion, the Rice University Owls. Go Lady Owls, national champions. Congratulations. Now, on the women's side of the NCAA tournament, the game of the night, male or female, did not matter. UConn versus Baylor, one versus two. A crazy game that looked like Baylor was going to run away with in the third quarter. Then Paige Buckets took over. And she was matched throughout the game by Baylor's Dijonay Carrington, who was clearly fouled, clearly fouled. With the game in the balance, down one, 68 to 67, she got fouled twice. Dog whistles. Game over. UConn goes his 13th straight final four. Just a nutty number to even say out loud for a competitive sport like this. But congratulations to the UConn Lady Huskies and... That's a hard knock life for Baylor because Ken Mulkey was trying to give the UAP to Gino Oriema all week. Oh, I could never outcoach Gino. She had him. Talent at the end and maybe a questionable call or two. Late, especially the last one against Carrington, she was definitely tackled and they did not blow the whistle. So we move on, we move forward. Arizona on the other side of the bracket defeated Indiana, going on to make their way to the Final Four there in San Antonio. So now we await the winners 
of the Stanford versus Louisville game and a conference rivalry between the University of Texas and Dawn Staley's University of South Carolina Gamecocks. Three ones got through. Who's going to win it all? Stanford's looking tough. South Carolina looking tough. UConn looking beatable. We'll see. On Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, we will have championship level games on the men's and women's side. So make sure you look out for more. Oh yeah, one last word in regard to more with the NCAA tournament. University of Michigan and UCLA play later on today. And recently, UCLA head coach Mick Cronin blasted the NBA and the G League for quote-unquote stealing away a player, a signed player, from his program, Dashin Nix, who played for the G League Ignite team. That is the team comprised of the top flight high school players who wanted to go pro right away. Stolen Mick, like, kind of like property? I don't know. I saw Isaiah Livers from the University of Michigan wearing a shirt that said with the hashtag, not NCAA property. Neither is Dashin Nix. He's not the property of UCLA either. Not the property of Mick Cronin. He made a decision. Oh, just like when these coaches, you know, and to give you full context, Mick Cronin doesn't think, he doesn't, he knows the NBA and the G League don't care about what he's saying. But I do. And I'm going to say this, that he was upset because he had the player signed, sealed, and delivered to UCLA. And somehow somebody convinced him to leave. So when a coach signs a deal to the school and he recruits these kids and the kids think he's going to be there for them as they go through maturation and every and understanding what this business is. Because it is a business. Whether you're talking about college basketball or professional basketball, it's all business. And then he gets a better job offer and he leaves because he did what was right for his family. Guess what Dash and Nick's did? Pandemic didn't know if he was going to play or not. Had an opportunity to go and make some money? Go do that. You don't know what his family situation is? It's hard to judge. But what we do know is more real rap comes after halftime. So come back for more of The Open Run with Will Strickland. Welcome back to The Open Run with Will Strickland, where the lecture is conducted from the mic into the speaker. Salute and shouts to the BAL, the Basketball Africa League, created in conjunction with the NBA, FIBA, FIBA Afro Basket, and lots of the club teams there in Africa across the continent to form their own league. They launched May 16th. So congrats to them. There are 12 teams that will play 26 games in a bubble in Rwanda because they had the FIBA Afro Basket tournament there and they were able to make sure to follow all the COVID protocols. Just made sense at this time, even though Africa has not reported a bunch of COVID cases, to keep it there and keep it as a model of consistency with the NBA and in accordance with what makes most sense during this pandemic. So shouts out to the BAL. I'm going to be watching. I'm going to see guys who will have options. And just to let you know, to be clear, the BAL and the NBA held tryouts for the league in Secaucus, New Jersey, about a year and a half, two years ago. It had to be like almost two years ago now. There were supposed to be 50 players. Didn't matter whether you had college or pro experience, you can come out. I don't want to call it insider trading, but we had someone who had connections and they used their plug to plug us in at Full Court 21 because three of our players 
former champions, 2016 All-World Champion Matt Thomas, who had gotten a cup of coffee. I can't even call it a cup of coffee if you just play on the Summer League team in, in Vegas with the Knicks. But, you know, anytime you have that kind of recognition, you can go. Manny Campbell, the 2017 All-World Champion for Full Court 21, was one of the other representatives that was going to go there and try out for the BAL. And last but not least, the 2019 and the longest reigning champion in Full Court 21 All-World history, Demi Sosa. Dimitri Harris, they were all invited to go until Adam Silver came in and said, wait a minute, we need to cut this from 50 to 25 and you must have had either NBA, G League or international professional experience somewhere. So none of our guys could go, but maybe, just maybe, as we've been talking about the options not to go to the NCAA or having options to play professionally overseas and utilizing Full Court 21 as a vehicle for these opportunities. We look forward to presenting that to our players coming up in 2022 because we will definitely be back next summer if we're not back this summer in a small and truncated fashion. This year marks the 25th anniversary of the WNBA and what I recall is the four-time WNBA champion Houston Comets. That team of Cynthia Cooper, Cynthia Cooper Dyke now, I think she's the coach at Texas Southern University there in Houston, used to be the head coach at USC, her alma mater, Tina Thompson, Hall of Famer, Cynthia Cooper, Hall of Famer, Kim Parrott, Blessed Dad, they had a squad. They won four straight. Of course, I cannot forget the first woman to have her own sneaker, Cheryl Swoops, Hall of Famer. They had a squad and they were stacked. Nobody complained back then. They just competed. A novel idea, is it not? But shouts out to the WNBA. I'll be watching once again. I enjoyed the game. No matter who's playing it, if you can play at a quality level and these ladies can play. The final four of the open runs, Know Your Role, greatest NBA role player of all time, at least since the 1976 merger, went down. And the one versus six matchup between Robert Ori and Andre Iguodala was tough. Now, Iguodala is a one-time All-Star. He had that over. Or he also had being the 2016 or 2015 NBA Finals MVP coming off the bench to hold he who shan't be named to a paltry 36-13-9. But Robert Ori went to the Finals seven times. Robert Ori was an integral part on every team he ever played for when they went to the championship. Whether you sat him on the bench for the, most of the regular season and let him get in games just to stay warm or not, After winning his first two rings in Houston, he's basically a mercenary, winning three in Los Angeles and saving. If people want to talk about Ray Allen saving he who shan't be named, they should talk about Robert Ory saving Shaq and Kobe against the Sacramento Kings. But we won't get into that too deep, now will we? Again, it is what it is. Show some empathy, show some respect for the guys who play the game. And then he won two more in San Antonio. You weigh it, Robert Ory even without the finals MVP, and it was tough. He was never MVP, never led anything in the league in any category. But he's one of them leaders in them rings. Them rings and things you're singing about, bring him out. It's hard to yell when that L's in your mouth. So Andre Iguodala, got to move on. Up to the finals, Robert Keith Ori. On the other side of the bracket, number two versus number three, Manu Ginobili versus Chauncey Billups. This one was tough. I'm talking tough because Manu had some great moments in the playoffs, but he was never the lead guy. He was the guy who could have started for multiple teams in the NBA, but he didn't. Whether he chose to or not means nothing. He was a quality enough player. And it's not how you start. It's how you finish. It's what we talk about on this podcast all the time. Manu Ginobili was a finisher. He did his thing. Won four titles in San Antonio, 2003, 
2005, 2007, 2014. Impressive. Chauncey Billups, on the other hand, helped engineer the second greatest upset in finals history. Over that team we talked about earlier with the Charles Malone, Gary Payton, Shaquille O'Neal, Mitch Richmond, Kobe Bean Bryant-led Lakers. Chauncey Billups was a guy who bumbled around the league until he found a home in Detroit. And once he found a home, became a multiple-time All-Star, led his team, whatever that team was, whether it's Denver or Detroit, to the conference finals in seven straight seasons. That was never a part of Manu's resume. That wasn't his role, really. But that doesn't create a demerit for Chauncey Ray Billups. And so in this tough, tough fight between the two, who edged it out? Chauncey Billups. So our final is now set. Robert Ory versus Chauncey Billups. Make sure you vote at whatever mechanism on social media you can, whether it be Twitter, IG, Facebook, because you might still have a chance to win a great prize pack courtesy of the Open Run, Full Court 21 Canada, and that small company called Nike. Calling Nike a small company is an odd declaration, no? Maybe as odd, if not odder than the one Draymond Green made recently saying he was the best defender ever. I get it. Confidence and everything else. You have to, like, why would you say someone is a better defender than you? I get it. But reality has to kick in at some point. Is Draymond Green, I think he's like a one-time defensive player of the year, but he is a quality anchor. He can guard, at one time, he can guard one through five and did it well, right? Helped his team to three NBA championships, five straight NBA finals. He's the glue guy for that team. He wasn't the best player on the team. He was just the most important one. So I get his argument, but there's a guy who's still alive by the name of William Felton Russell before they even had a Defensive Player of the Year trophy that could have easily won almost every year he ever breathed air on anything. Again, you have your choices. Who do you think is the best defender in NBA history? Hit me up on my socials. You know where you can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, and at Facebook. If you're on Facebook, following me there. Cool. Got you. Steve Kerr, his coach made another declaration I thought was pretty deep. He said he had more fun and learned more in the year that the Warriors, which was last year, were the worst team in the NBA. He enjoyed that more than he did the last year with Kevin Durant in Golden State in 2019. That, to me, was deep. Very deep. But the turmoil, and this is the thing, like people swear and they look at the aesthetic of all they all they have to do is win. They don't have to be friends in the court. But it's really tough when you can't have some degree of chemistry and camaraderie. And of course, injury got in the way of that. There are people who will swear to the end of earth and the end of time that there's no way Toronto could have ever won that title if Kevin Durant and Clay Alexander Thompson were not injured. Note to everyone listening, including and especially Raptor fans, injuries have been a part of every single championship in the NBA ever. Every single one. That's it. It is what it is. Show some empathy. Show some respect. The Raptors played well enough to win the title, and they did. The end. No excuses. And I don't know if I can categorize this as it is what it is, but James Edward Harden Jr., who is playing out of his mind right now in Brooklyn, you have to give him his due, came out recently and said he is the MVP, period. (laughs) Had to throw that on there. He didn't mince words. Is he the MVP? Do you have to take into account what he did in Houston, even though he played fairly well for an out-of-shape guy? I mean, the game is easy to him. At this level, he's like Neo in the Matrix right now. He's playing in a different level, and he's rounding out his game in a way that we have not seen. Is he the MVP? 
Some would say Nikola Jokic. Some would even say Giannis for the third straight time because, I mean, his stats are pretty comparable to the Jokers. And they are third in the East. And speaking of that, let's just figure out what we're doing around the league because at the top of the East, the Sixers at 32 and 14 are still there and Brooklyn's chasing them as well as Milwaukee. So Giannis may have a case, especially with Joel Embiid being injured for as long as he's been injured. And he was leading in that race a little bit earlier in the season, but that's how these things go. And in the West, the Utah Jazz at 35 and 11, continuing to stay at the top of the conference. I'm looking forward to what happens in the playoffs as we are now two thirds of the way throughout the season. We're going to see who's who and what's what in these NBA playoffs that start in the middle of May. So we're basically a month and a half, six weeks, seven weeks away from the NBA playoffs. So let's go through our power 10 with Utah still up top, Brooklyn at two, Phoenix at three, and people are going to underrate Phoenix. And that's cool. They're flying under the radar right now, but I think they're going to give a lot of people problems. And of course, Christopher Emmanuel Paul, aka Uncle Cliff. Still guiding that young ship out there. Everybody thought he was going to be a mentor. He's out there being a leader and a low-key MVP candidate again. At four, the Philadelphia 76ers being held down by Ben Simmons, doing a great job keeping them afloat while Joel Embiid is out of the lineup. At five, Milwaukee. The Clippers at six. We'll talk about their new acquisition in a little bit. The Lakers at seven. Denver at eight. And that could flip-flop because of what's going on with buyouts and things of this nature plus the trades we're going to talk about that a little bit later but Denver at eight Portland at nine got some guys back in the lineup shouts out to Christian James McCollum and Yosef Nurkic back in the lineup and they also had a new acquisition that I will be talking about shortly and rounding it out is the new look San Antonio Spurs again stop playing with Greg Popovich the man can coach I don't know how he got these guys in the playoff hunt in the west with that lineup but Kudos to Greg Popovich and his entire brain trust there. But like I said before, it's not how we start. It's how we finish. So come back for more of The Open Run with Will Strickland right after you listen to this. Now winning time on the open run with Will Strickland. Welcome back. And I'd like to give greetings and salutations to some very special parties um, who received awards recently, including Wardell Stephen Curry, who was awarded the NAACP's Jackie Robinson Award for his social activism, his support of women's causes, and his interview with Dr. Anthony Fauci in regard to COVID awareness and helping our communities, some of the hardest hit communities in the country, better understand what the risks were in COVID exposure. I also want to acknowledge the WNBPA, the Women's National Basketball Players Association, for their award, the Jackie Robinson Award as well, for social and gender activism and what they did politically, in particular in the state of Georgia, by ensuring that a former owner of a WNBA team was ousted as a senator in that state and that a person of color received that seat. One of the first times, actually, it was the first time in the history of that state that a black person will hold that office. And shouts out to my man Al Horford of the Oklahoma City Thunder, the league's most expensive mentor. 
who still has two years and over $50 million left on his contract, was told by the team, and as the team allowed us to know through league sources, that he would no longer be playing as an active player on that roster. They're going to try and find him a home, but I don't know if you'll be able to find a home for Al Horford at that ticket price. However, they did find one for Chris Paul, who undoubtedly is a better player than Al Horford and more valuable in different ways, but Al Horford can still play. You never know. Someone might take the bait and buy it on Al Horford's contract. The buyout deadline is April 9th, and Andre Drummond did not waste a moment once he cleared waivers from Cleveland to sign with the Los Angeles Lakers in the arms race that is the NBA that everyone's up in arms about, but they shouldn't be. As I said earlier in the show, this is what the NBA has always done. The Lakers have always been one of those franchises that's always gone after the best players. They had West and Baylor somehow traded something. I don't know what you trade for Wilt Chamberlain. Like, what do you trade? They got him. Somehow Shaquille O'Neal and they trade Vladi Divac for Kobe Bryant and they get all these pieces. They win championships. It happens. The primary difference in today and yesterday is the movement of free agency. That's it. So before, when fans weren't involved in what the front office was doing and the machinations of everything going on, now you can see every aspect of players' lives damn near on social media. And so you know what's going to happen. Basically, they pull back the curtain on Oz. And you guys are mad because teams and players who now have a different level of power are moving players around, are making choices. Isn't that odd? A worker having a choice. He's not a slave to the team. He's not connected to the team forever. This fan construct of loyalty in sports business is hilarious to me. But keep holding on. Teams are going to build with the best assets possible and then try to manage those assets to the best of their ability. Some do it better than most. Trade deadline was March 25th and some teams did a superlative job at moving around their assets. Others, not so much. Going to look around the league real quick and tell you what I'm thinking about some of these key moves in particular. Let's go to the Chicago Bulls, who are looking to create some Zach Levine insurance because he's about to get that big check, the big one. And either they're going to win or he's going to go somewhere else. So they go down and they get a quality all-star level center and Nick Vucevic, a.k.a. Vucci Main. If Laurie Markkinen can ever stay healthy, Zach Levine in that backcourt, they might have a little something started there and Chicago can become a free agent destination again. We'll see. The Nuggets went out and as... The fire sale goes on in Orlando. They pick up Aaron Gordon to get a little bit back of what they missed from Jeremy Grant on that team. They've been up and down all year. I think Jeremy Grant was a bigger difference maker than most people realized. And then going out to get JaVale McGee, a three-time NBA champion backup center. That's what he is to back up the Joker. Back in Denver again, JaVale McGee. I'm intrigued. Good job, Nuggets. The Celtics and Daniel Ray Ainge and his Millions of almost trades. This team is always in the midst of some trade scenario. And then they go out and get Evan Fournier from, you guessed it, the Orlando Magic. Does he shape the team? Does he address an immediate need for them? I don't know. As a matter of fact, no. This is your life, Robert Williams III, Taco Fall, and Tristan Thompson. Or at least the writing remains of Tristan Thompson. The Celtics are in trouble. I'd say that the team who won the trade deadline over Denver would be the Miami Heat of Patrick James Riley. I wouldn't necessarily call it the luck of the Irish, but picking up Victor Oladipo for basically nothing. And when I think about the GM in Houston, 
saying that they're happy with the trade with James Harden, they didn't get anything back because all the pieces they traded for James Harden are no longer in Houston. Hmm. It's a trip. I'm trying to think about the last time an MVP level or MVP asked to be traded somewhere, forced his way out. I do recall another player in Houston who was an MVP. As a matter of fact, he had won MVP the season he, he requested a trade. The late Moses Eugene Malone, 1982. Second MVP gets traded to Philadelphia. They go fo fo fo. Actually, they didn't go fo fo fo. Like Mo 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 said, it went fo fi fo, but close enough. Wins not only the regular season MVP, wins the finals MVP in a sweep over the guess who? The Los Angeles Lakers, who had a center on their team that forced his way out of Milwaukee in 1975. Where did he want to go? The Lakers. It's been going on forever. Stop crying. Learn your history. The Sixers got the Kyle Lowry consolation prize in George Hill. Veteran guy. Hurt a lot. You know, he's going to make a stand. If you have COVID, I mean, he's going to go see whoever he wants to see. You have to remember that from the bubble. But I haven't seen George Hill in the court doing much. He's really insurance for Ben Simmons in the event that he gets injured. It happens. It happens. The LA Clippers trade Lemon Pepper Lou back to his home, the Atlanta Hawks, for Rajon Rajon Pierre Rondo. Now, everyone's thinking, yeah, this is going to be the spark that the Clippers need. But if they need Rondo to be the spark to push them with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George on that squad, they have more issues than what we thought. And do remember, Kawhi Leonard did not sign a long-term extension with those guys. Could be on the move after this year if they fall. And last but not least, one of my favorite moves is a guy in the 2016 draft who I was more excited about for the Raptors picking up than their first-round draft pick. The second-round draft pick, Norman Powell, was moved from Toronto to Portland. Many above the 49th parallel and in Philadelphia believed that Kyle Lowry had played his last game in Toronto and was on his way back home. Not to be. So Norman Powell gets moved. Great asset. He had played his way into being traded, actually. He'd been playing great. Getting an opportunity now to start in Portland, show his versatility as a guy who I like to call at the time a poor man's Russell Westbrook, but I don't think we'll ever see him put up a monster game like Russell Westbrook put up last night. 35 points, 14 rebounds, and 21 assists? No Brad Beal? No problem. And it was against the playoff level team in Indiana. Shouts out to you, Russell. I don't know. Those are video. Those are ridiculous video game made up player numbers. And he played like that for real. But anyway, called Norman the poor man's Russell Westbrook coming out of the UCLA because they both wore number four. They both had unholy athleticism. Neither one of them could shoot in college. But he worked his way into the lineup in Toronto. Did his thing with the 905 from time to time. And when the Raptors made the 2016 Eastern Conference playoffs, they made it all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. They brought in all kinds of, quote-unquote, he-who-shan't-be-named stoppers. Damari Carroll. All kinds of people. James Johnson. You know who ends up guarding he-who-shan't-be-named in the playoffs? The majority of the time in 2016? Norman Powell. I thought he did a incredible job. I mean, there are levels. No matter how you feel, there are levels. And so, he is one of the best second-round picks I can recall in a long time. Now, there are levels to second-round picks. I think that three of the top second-round picks in the history of the game. As a matter of fact, I know this to be true. From three, I'd say Draymond Green. At two, Manu Ginobili. And at one, 
Dennis Keith Rodman. Not going to say that Norman Powell's on that level, but he's a pretty good one. And what people should manage is their fantasy basketball fan expectations. The team is not going to do what you want them to do. What happened in Maasai, we trust. The man who brought culture, the culture, to Toronto, the winning culture to Toronto. You're now a little spoiled. I get it. But the reality is this. If you think short term, you're going to get short term results. Norman Powell was not the only free agent in play here. Nick Nurse got his deal. GM Bobby Webster got his deal. But the architect who put the whole thing together and actually is the same guy who is the architect that put the thing together in Denver. Don't forget what he did by moving Allen Iverson's contract and Carmelo Kayem Anthony's contract to create the team they have in Denver today. That was Masai Jury. So if they win a title in the next couple of years, remember this. When they were gearing up to get Giannis Antetokounmpo, because of his connections, they're African, they're Nigerian, they tried to, the brotherhood, the Greek community in Toronto, so huge, so great, so loving. Didn't happen because Giannis didn't want to leave $90 million on the table. I don't blame him. That's why they create the Supermax for players who have been developed through the system of the team he's on. When they got Giannis, he was just a skinny little 17, 18-year-old kid. Now he's huge and muscled up in a two-time and possibly three-time MVP consecutively. The last time we saw that, Larry Joe Bird, 84, 85, and 86. But if you're thinking that Norman Powell was the only one and that the second-round picks are the only thing because they're very valuable today, I actually wrote a story. You can go and check it out on Press. We are press.net called Ode to the Undrafted. Guess who was one of those people? I'm raising my hand. You can't see it. But who should have been your first-round pick was... Messiah Jury. How do you not re-sign the guy who created your culture? Now, bear in mind, the Washington Wizards and their owner, Ted Leonsis, has made overtures to Messiah Jury. The possibility of having an ownership stake in the NBA team, no matter how bad you may think they are, you have to remember, Ted Leonsis owns the Washington Capitals of the National Hockey League, the Washington Wizards of the NBA, and Monumental Sports and Entertainment his television and promotional network. Messiah Jury's wife is from Washington, D.C. You're putting the pieces together. You're starting to connect dots. And maybe I'm connecting dots where there aren't any. But tell me if it doesn't make sense to you. So who's doing the team building right now? Who's doing the culture building right now? It's not the Toronto Raptors. Now your fans are calling for a tanking job. With all those players, with all that championship DNA, why? You had the man who built your culture, let him do his job, or he'll be elsewhere. Because there's a history of team building. The, when you couldn't move in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and even in the 80s, even up to basically the mid-90s, even though free agency in its infant form came in in 1988, for four decades almost, players were bound to their teams. Unless they did what? Oh, James hardened their way out of Houston. Hey, Charles Barkley, what's up, Philadelphia? Yeah. You know, those same guys that I could never see myself play. If they had the option and the freedom of free agency that these players have today, they would have been gone. They would have played with all. But, you know, I know Dennis Rodman never played with his sworn enemy, Michael Jordan. Oh, yeah, he did. I'm bad. How could Steve Nash, who said he would never play for the evil. Oh, yeah, he did that too. Carl Malone, the Utah Jazz. Oh, damn. He went to the Lakers to chase a ring. 
Wow, Scottie Pippen, Charles Barkley, Clyde Drexler, and Hakeem Olajuwon on the same team. I don't care if it's the end of their careers. They were still those guys. How many titles did they win? And Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge are the Walmart brand, great value, Gary Payton and Karl Malone. Well, what about the Heat? What about the Heat? And he was champion name. Yeah, they got together. In 2012, they brought in Walter Ray Allen to go along with Christopher Weston Bosch, Dwayne Tyrone Wade Jr., and, you know, that guy. What about the Warriors in 2017? Steph Curry, Clay Alexander Thompson, Andre Tyler Iguodala, and Kevin Wayne Durant. People are still castigating Durant for his moves to go to a 73-win team. I might be one of them included, but guess what? He was a free agent. So what? He can move where he wants to move. Guess what? LaMarcus Aldridge got bought of his contract. He had the choice of where he wanted to go. He chose Brooklyn. Be mad. Stay mad. Die mad. Well, maybe I'll take the die by. I'm trying to be more empathetic. I'm trying to build a culture of caring and loving. So I'm here with you. Because I am a shareholder of the culture, as should you be. And so until next week, do what's popular with the population. Make sure you don't get beat off the dribble. And keep listening to the podcast where basketball and life are one. The Open Run with Will Strickland. Rich Kid. Make it happen, Captain. Easy. Easy.